Brought to you by the Cabell County Public Library. Between Two Shelves brings you a new look on the day-to-day -day life of a library. From youth services to circulation and beyond, our episodes will lend you the world here at the Cabell County Public Library. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Between Two Shelves. I'm your host Jacob, joined by my favorite co-host Brandon to talk today with Jeff Tiglar. Jeff is a former newspaper reporter and editor whose writing has appeared in journals including the New Ohio Review, the Bellot Poetry Journal, North American Review, Pleiades, and the Lore Review, and in anthologies such as Verse Daily, Best New Poets, and New Poetry from the Midwest. His poetry garnered a fellowship from the Ohio Arts Council, and his first book, Certain Streets at an Uncertain Hour, published in 2015 by Washburn University's Woodley Press, won the 2016 Kansas Authors Club Nelson Poetry Book Award. Jeff currently works here at the Cabell County Public Library. That's right, not only do we provide the books, but we employ the authors, get them on both sides. He resides with his wife and two children here in Huntington. Jeff, welcome to the show. We are very excited to have you here with us today. Well, I'm excited to be here, not only on this podcast that you guys do such a great job with, but at the library, which is such an awesome place to work because you're surrounded by books and history and ideas and characters and all that. So thank you for having me. So just before we jump into the questions, we do have to point out something that Jeff is wearing today. That is because we have some brand new Between Two Shelves buttons that we are going to gift to any of the interviews we give out now. Anybody that comes on and does an interview with us will get a brand new button. It's nice. It's mm -hmm. a nice deal. Nice we're, not, we're not bribing at all. It's a lovely button, <laughs> I will say. Bribery. You can't mention bribery. What bribery? True. <laughs> We'll jump right into the questions if you're all ready for that. Nice. What made you decide to become an author? That is a good question. So I think, I, f I feel like writing has always sort of seemed to come naturally to me, but I had to hear it from someone else in order to like actually start thinking of my myself as like a writer, quote unquote, or as, you know, good at writing, air quotes. So, yeah, like I said, I, I needed to be convinced of it, really. I had a, a professor in college, an English professor, who um, told me that she thought that I was pretty good at writing and that I should be on the college newspaper, and I did that. And then the editor there said that he thought that I should be the editor the following year, and I ended up doing that. And I ended up, after college, going into to journalism. I worked at a a small weekly newspaper as a reporter and then eventually was an editor. And so all along I was doing a lot of writing because I had to, you know, like, or, other, or else I wouldn't get paid. It, but I had to turn in, you know, four, five, six stories every week. And, but I was covering night meetings like government, school board meetings, city hall. So, Really, that wasn't a ton of fun, but it was good, good, good practice. But I, I was glad to get into poetry when I started kind of just tinkering around with that because I think poetry is, for me anyway, it's more fun. And I think of it as like play on a page. There's not as many rules as, as people might think, like depending on the situation. I mean, there's different forms of you know, formal poetry, but. Basically, I, I want to get the idea out of poetry as as being fun, and it's not all just stuffy and rhymy. So, yeah, that's. Do you have a preferred kind of 
style or I'm not sure exactly what the poetry terms are. Yeah, I'm not either. Actually, I don't I don't really <laughs> even really subscribe that. Like, to that. I do poetry. Yeah, yeah. Outsider, right? You know, like, yeah. So I don't actually, you know, I never went to grad school. Um, so I just kind of just do what comes naturally. And I don't do, really do like a lot of formal stuff, like stuff that like rhymes at the end. But like I still try to like pay attention to sound and, and rhythm and, and things like that. I've done like I think the, my foray into formal poetry. I, I tried to do uh, double abecedarians for some reason for a while, like where like um, it starts with an A and then the last letter of the line is a Z and then all the way down the alphabet. And so that was that was kind of fun. And I wrote like maybe six or seven poems like that. But I think found poetry is fun for me, just like like seeing things out in the world that kind of strike you and you're like, Whoa, could that, could that be a poem? Like, like if I, if I steal that or if I overhear like a, a snippet, a snippet, exactly. Yeah. I use that word a lot too. Like a snippet of conversation or like you just like steal it and then like file it away for later. Maybe like, I'm always like, I've got these little scraps that just pile up. You can ask my wife, they, they kind of like take over the house and it's, and I'm not organized enough to have like a, a dedicated notebook. So I'll just write something down on the, the nearest available piece of paper. And it's, it's a little bit chaotic, but sometimes they find their way into, um, into, into poems and the poems, sometimes find their way into journals and magazines which and then they end up in in books and so if he randomly yeah. starts writing down while he's doing this interview we got a good snip we, we made a poem mm -hmm. yep yep sweet yep. so, so thank that, you that kind of <laughs> does lead into the next question of how do you come up with the ideas of your book you kind of talked about how you see these snippets in in real life and you kind of turn those into what you produce yeah yeah so yeah, the, the poems pile up, the, the there's scraps everywhere, but eventually you got to do something with them. So, like, for example, my first collection, when we were, we were living in Kansas at the time, and I noticed that uh, there's a, a lot of these poems have, uh, like, believe it or not, uh, something to do with Kansas. So then I was like, is there enough here for a, for a book? And eventually there's, you know, enough, you know, 40 or 50, and, and then the key is to try to put them in some some order. order, yeah, and then and then start sending it out to places. So so that worked for that that first collection, and then my second one, um, prayed on at the Y. Um, my wife had cancer, and I noticed that a lot of what I was writing like were poems that had a little bit of something to do with that. And then I, a few years later, I it actually took some time, but I just revisited that and put those in order and ended up getting a, a, a collection there and and a, a publisher was good enough to accept that yeah so sometimes just like knowing what to do with 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 all the the material that that's there and like just using your energy like I, this is where my ideas are at trying mm -hmm. to just be like okay this is you're just trying to tie it all together yes yeah harness harness the harness the energy and not that there's not like dry spells and periods of extreme laziness and I think it's um, kind of funny that that's ironically sort of how palette casting works. Yeah. Uh, especially with the one that I do by myself for my own fun, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, you get a lot of ideas that like, oh, this would be a great episode to do. I could do this. I could do this. This and this, and they'll start to pile up until sometimes you can feel a little overwhelmed. Absolutely. And it starts to feel like you know. 
have all these ideas. What am I supposed to do with all this? Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, you have those dry spells where you just feel like, Nothing the creative juices aren't flowing. Not doing it, nope. So I do have to ask about the other yeah. work that you've published here in the last year, uh, mm-hmm. Love and Wrestling. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is actually the first section of a, of a larger collection that I have out there that I've been sending out for, for years and hasn't gotten accepted. It's been like a finalist in a couple contests. But that the working title of that longer collection is called Pedestrian Domestic, and that's kind of an example of writing that's based on, you know, like maybe my life. Like I was, I was a stay-at-home dad for a while when my wife was in grad school. And a lot of the poems I thought of as like just, you know, domestic poems, but like or having to do with like, like my kids or like humorous things like that. But yeah, it, in, in, so I'm hoping that eventually that the full full collection will will get uh, will get picked up, but this was kind of a nice nice way to do that. Like it's kind of like a, a sneak peek or a teaser of of a, a larger thing to come. So, nice. but yeah. So, what has been the most difficult thing about writing, and or or the most rewarding? Yes, good question. That's a, a two part question, and I'll I'll probably like break it into like a eight-part answer Um, (laughs) but like we talked about earlier like this idea of too much and not enough like there's all these scraps and and snippets and and so much to do with and to try to put in order but like not enough time and in my case not enough focus or organization or discipline a lot of distraction you know life happens but you know with writing like Number one rule of writing, you, you maybe have heard, like, write what you know. But, like, before that, like, to before that point, it's, like, your butt has to be in the seat. Like, get your butt in the seat to actually get the writing done and then stay there. And that's what I have trouble with, um, you know, Just short like, attention span. I got to sit there and write. Yeah, I'll, I may sit down, but then I'll think of something and then I'll pop up and then I'll be walking around the house pacing and forget yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of <laughs> funny. I've, I've talked to quite a few authors from doing these interviews and they're all like that mm-hmm. of every every single one of them always seems to have that issue of uh, i i have trouble of sitting down and just focusing so a lot of my writing goes in spurts of i have absolutely work, just doing all this work and then it's not there for a yes absolutely work and, you know, streaky yeah. yeah yep i mean i've heard that like to be creative to stand up and walk around, even if it's just pacing, mm-hmm. that's really helpful for your brain. Even just because it's just, I mean, walking is a very natural thing for humans to do, and mm-hmm. so it's just very much like a you're at an, at, a, at an ease eased state at that. Yeah, it helps, you know, your brain flow a bit easier. Yeah, flow is the word I was I was waiting for there, and like yeah, going for a walk or swimming, biking, whatever. Yeah, and you might be writing without even knowing it, without you know pen and paper. It's it's the, it just gets things you're processing. So that that's that's perfect. But also another difficult thing, obviously, is rejection. Like I send things out, and I'm sending them to markets that like the acceptance rate might be like one percent or less. So you might have to get like actually 99 rejections before you you get uh, an acceptance, and that can be. I don't want to say humiliating, but humbling, and yeah, yeah, it puts things in perspective. But then the flip side of that, like the the rewarding part, which is more fun to talk about, is like when you get an acceptance, you get that email, or in rare cases, like a letter, 
a letter or a phone call. Like, like I think I've had one or two editors do it old school like that where they actually like a, a verbal thing like that. So acceptances are fun, like like poem, whether it's a single poem in a journal or rarely a, a full collection, a, a book. That's that's very it makes it worthwhile. And then like giving readings is another thing I I love to do. Like I I get very nervous, but like once I'm up there and I'm like reading the poem and I get a sense that people are identifying with it, enjoying it, and then laughing is the best part. Like if I can get you know get some laughs and that that's just a real moment of ease you're like oh, okay yeah you're into it. I got connection it. yeah yeah absolutely and yeah you're like yes <laughs> that's why we do this so mm-hmm. um yeah so i think you talked a little bit about this already but especially with some of the the newer poetry you've done um, with prayed on at the y and love and wrestling mm-hmm. how do you include a little bit of yourself into your poetry because i think every Anybody that's doing something creatively mm-hmm. or something that requires you to put yourself out there to do something like this, you have to put a little of yourself into it. Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah, that's another awesome question. It's 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 kind of inevitable that that's going to happen with with doing anything creative like that. But even if it's not like overtly about me or my kids or, you know, about being a stay-at-home dad or my wife having cancer or anything it's it's going to be like even if it's a a poem where you are just basically stealing it based on hearing some great eavesdropped conversation and and you you like isolate it and and submit it as a as a persona poem it's still going to have a little bit of of you in it like your style and cuz you're making decisions to to shape it and Persona poems is a way that I use to like get outside of myself a little bit, um, right? Like from the perspective of a of a character or someone someone who's who's not me, and then I, I find that very like fun and and exhilarating, and to know that you know you could get up and, and read this, and people aren't gonna you know you're not revealing too much about yourself but you at the same time you are because you're revealing like you know I paid attention to this specific person or this kind of yeah like um that inner play the narrator yeah yeah you're making choices about what to include and you know that'll that'll reveal stuff about you as well whether whether you you want to or not so depending on what, like, what you picked up and wrote down you're like well i picked up more information but i'm what i want to go th- what i want to filter out absolutely yeah so there's a lot of like editing and filtering that that goes on you know, even with that so yeah yeah, yeah. so we're going to switch gears a little bit mm-hmm. um so you currently run the books on wheels program here at the library how does that work for like is a how does that is it a day-to-day month-to-month or Mm -hmm. what's your kind of flow for it yeah so books on wheels it's it's one delivery day a month at this point it's um the last last thursday of the month i'll spend most of the day plucking items off the shelves for for specific patrons and then i'll spend the next day out on the road delivering them but first i i need to make sure i don't take credit for 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 that program basically when during the pandemic, when Jenny Pennington, who used to work here, started it, um, like 
my hand was the first one that shot up when she was asking for if anyone wanted to ride along with her to see what it was all about. So I, I did that and and then she got another job a few months later and then so there I was and I just went with it and it's it's been really cool and I've enjoyed it and I think the people that we serve, I think it's been important to them. And I, I think when people think of, when they hear books on wheels, they might kind of think of the bookmobile, like, which is, I think it's a program that the library used to have when it was like a bigger, actually like a mobile branch, like just loaded down with all kinds of materials before we had as many branches as we do now, the, the book would just go out to designated spots and people could treat it like a library. But books on wheels is just, it's just a little old car, like a you know, like a Ford Focus or something, um, and it's. We've driven that car. You know that car, yeah, yeah, car company was. vehicle, yeah. It's got the county plates and everything, so <laughs> so you have to be careful not you know litter and stuff. But yeah, Books on Wheels is individually tailored to to specific patrons, and I'll you know put together a bag um, for each one of them depending on what they want. I do like a lot of. Um, there's a lot of large print westerns that, that I end up getting out there, and like a lot of the, our, the ladies like cozy mysteries, books with recipes in them, and stuff like that. So, and then, but I've gotten to, I've had had several patrons that I've gotten to know very well and and know their tastes. It's really cool, and uh, I've, I'm lucky to be able to do that. So, so yeah. how does if a patron wants to sign up for that program, what's the best way to for them to sign up? Like to call to come in or. Yeah, they should if if they can they can give give the library a call and ask for me. Sometimes I'll leave applications or information at some of the places that I deliver to that there's a lot of people living there like senior housing and then like maybe word of mouth they'll they'll give me a call. So yeah, that that's that's a way they can do that and it's kind of tricky cuz it has to it's only one person one day right now, so we don't want it to to grow too, too huge. But if it does, that's a that's a good problem mm-hmm. to have, and we we could address that. So yeah, if there's any listeners who uh, who would benefit from that, or or they they're yeah, if they if they know someone else, or if they have trouble getting out and they need books books or movies or music brought to them, we that's what we're here for. So I, and I'd be happy to do that. So yeah. So. Going back to what we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. are there any works in progress for you right now? Or Yeah, there's always, you know, like the scraps and the snippets and, and assembling those is key. And I, and I, I have some unfinished projects, shockingly. <laughs> and I, I do have a few manuscripts that are for books that are that are unpublished yet that, I've, that are floating around that I'm sending out or that I plan to send out. There's one thing that I, I brought in a poem that I hope will kind of maybe tie things together here. It's a very short poem because it's it has to be because it's published on a drink coaster, and it's about Kenny Rogers. For some reason, I I don't know. I've had a kind of a lifetime. I guess you call it an obsession with with Kenny Rogers. It's it's not really that active or ongoing. But I'm told that the, the one of the first known instances of me writing was um, a fan letter to to Kenny, and I don't think he ever responded. If he had, I, I would probably remember it. But yeah, my parents told me I wrote a, a letter to Kenny Rogers, 
it's kind of weird because I'm, I'm not a huge country music fan, but like growing up, I think Kenny Rogers and the Oak Ridge Boys were my favorites. And I think it's because they had cool songs that I, I loved for whatever reason. The Oak Ridge Boys had Elvira, you know, the guy with the super deep voice. And Kenny Rogers had uh, The Gambler. And that kind of so in high school, I, I put together lip syncs two years in a row, my junior year and senior year, both involved Kenny Rogers and me dressed up as Kenny Rogers, like full beard and everything. And so I, and I don't know, this stuff just kind of happens. You don't even really intend it sometimes. You never know but, what's going to find out when you interview somebody. Never yeah, know. yeah. It's all coming out, man. Well, please so, read us the Kenny Rogers. I, I will do that. So yeah. excited. So this poem, it just—it's one of those things that just—it just, it just kind of happened. I don't know what was going on, but um, uh, it's a Kenny Rogers poem, and it got published. And I entered it into a, a contest later for this bar in Vancouver that was having a contest, and the, the the winning poems would get published on their on their their beer coasters. And and so here, this is from the the niche wine and art bar in Vancouver, and the poem is called Kenny Rogers. When at ten. Kenny Rogers grew his first and only beard. People said to him, you look like Kenny Rogers. The beard was stark white from the get-go. Hey, it's Kenny Rogers, people kept saying. Kenny took this to heart and stayed with the look for the rest of his life. He kept telling himself, I am Kenny Rogers. That was just as awesome as I thought it was. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. And it's, it's functional art, too, because you can see that there's beverage rings on yeah, there and everything. Personally, I prefer Coward of the County for Kenny Rogers. Oh, but that's a sleeper, the yeah. a great song as well. Yeah, it gets a little overplayed and, yeah. Especially but, in bars. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, Jeff, that is all the questions we have today. If there's anything else you'd like to add, feel free. Now's your time. I think I've probably said enough. I think we can More than enough. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing any new works you put out. And, of course, you can come see Jeff here at the library, and you can sign up for the Books on Wheels program as well if you need to. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.